Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to just an excellent podcast with Marin K. Donovan of Recruit, I want to give a quick shout out to cruisetax.com. That's right. We built our own online tax prep for startups. It's like TurboTax, but for startups. And the best part is once you fill out all the info and the questions, you have a real CPA doing the taxes. You're not doing the taxes. The CPA is. We have an awesome group of tax professionals and CPAs that handle everything for you. So check out cruisetax.com for all your startup tax needs. And with that, let's get to Marin K. Donovan of Recruit. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And my very special guest today is Marin Donovan of Recruit. Welcome, Marin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So uh, we work with Marin. We actually love her service. It's amazing. Uh, but maybe tell the audience about Recruit and how you got to this point. The last 10 years kind of have, I've always been in and out of the human capital markets. Uh, and I didn't even know it was called human capital 10 years ago. I just thought it was like finding people to do work that I wasn't good at. Um, when I started my first little business uh, in college. And I would find virtual assistants in the Philippines, in um, different parts of the Middle East, who would help me build my blog or edit a, a podcast like this or write documents. And that eventually led me to starting a company called Zirtual, which was virtual dedicated executive assistants, all US based. And we placed those assistants mostly with entrepreneurs and small businesses in the States and in Europe. Uh, and that was just kind of got me really interested in the idea of hiring and especially hiring at scale because yeah. at our at the most, I think we had 450 employees and we were always bringing on new assistants. So we had to create these relatively robust hiring uh, funnels and I was the one that built a lot of them and I found it was like the thing I loved to do the most. I could just crack out on that for like 10 hours at a time. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so after uh, I left Searchable and that changed hands, I spent about two years doing um, some interim COO work, uh, finding myself, quote unquote, traveling. I explored three different business models, everything from death care, which was super interesting, to Korean beauty, to micro housing. But after two years, I, I found myself back in the space of just really enjoying helping other companies uh, build out their hiring efforts and think about it really holistically. And that kind of was the beginning of Recruit, which uh, I started about eight or nine months ago with a few of my original um, virtual people. So people that used to be virtual assistants are actually some of our uh, founding team here at Recruit, which is really awesome. That's awesome. And you get to, as you say, crack out and focus on uh, building those big hiring funnels for lots of different companies now. Yep. Yep. That is my favorite part of the job. So for us, you do like the high level, you do like, you kind of manage our pipeline, I would say. Like, how do you, how do you describe that work? Yeah. I mean, the way to think about it is 
especially when companies like Cruise, uh, you know, are hiring pretty aggressively in like a year's time, you think about it in terms of evergreen hiring. So you may not need a staff accountant tomorrow, but you will need them in two weeks or four weeks. So you want to always be bringing um, people in at the top of the funnel. And then you want to be creating just like a, a V, you want to be creating different steps to gauge whether a potential candidate is a culture fit, whether they have the skills to do the job, whether they have the qualities the job requires, and if they're actually motivated both for the company's mission and actually to do the work. And depending on the level of seniority, depending on the type of role, uh, the location, you can create different steps in different, not hoops to jump through, that always sounds bad, but actually ways for a candidate to prove that not only do they love the work they're going to be doing, but that they're good at it. And that's kind of what we really focus on. So we like to think of uh, a hiring funnel as like we handle about 80% of it, getting people from the very top to the point where we're like, hey, this person has gone through tests, they've done written screens, they've done a phone screen, at least one with someone on our team. Um, we've checked out uh, you know, their general qualities and skills. This person we think is a potential good fit. And then the company, so in your case, Cruise, you guys do your deep vetting internally. And then from there, you're able to figure out, is this person truly like a rock star for this position? And are they a culture fit? Will they work well with us in the office? I love your point about like the passion and love for the mission and wanting to, it's, I always find that's like the, by far the biggest differentiator. There's so many good, like for example, accountants out there, or maybe you're recruiting for engineers or whatever it is, but like, it's really that love and passion and fire is what sets people apart. That's, that's, what, that's what one of the main things we hire for. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. So we only do non-technical hiring. So we actually kind mm. of focus on doing non-technical hiring for companies that are really good at a specificity. So in the financial markets, that's what you guys focus on. Or we do, um, we have several clients in the blockchain world, so fintech and or technical companies that are hiring for HR operations, executive assistance. And we really focus on making sure the people are quality, uh, filtering out the vast amounts of people that just will randomly apply but really won't put in the effort. And then from there, understanding have these people looked into the company? Are they motivated by the space, by what the company does? Will they actually really be a fit or are they just looking for a job? And that's a really important part of it. It's amazing. And, and you do it at, you, you because you have scale internally, you can do it at a price point where it really works for us. And we think your service is incredibly valuable. I think that's something that people may not understand, like that they can work with Recruit and kind of get, get the operating efficiencies that you get in your business in the same way that companies outsource their finance and accounting and taxes to us. You know, it's like, we're so good at it and you're so good at what you do and you have so many great internal processes that you make it a very efficient value prop for us. Yeah. I mean, the way, so, uh, I took some of the learnings from, um, working with, so I've worked with remote teams my whole life. Literally since I was in college, my first company, I was working with someone in the Philippines to help me get it started. And what we do at Recruit, so traditional recruiting firms, they have employees, these people are recruiters, and individual recruiters do all of the work. And so instead of, I started doing recruiting myself, uh, helping startups 
a few years ago after Zirtual, and I really quickly realized uh, that there were five disciplines to hiring, and each of those disciplines, I wasn't great at every one of those disciplines. Like one of those disciplines is coordination, which is pretty much an admin, and I am not that great at super fine details, at keeping all the trains running. So once I figured out these five like disciplines, which is uh, the coordinator, the interviewer, the headhunter, that's someone that goes out and finds potential people for jobs that are harder to fill, uh, the strategist, that's the one thing I do do is which set strategy, and then domain experts. So if uh, we're hiring for a HR person, we'd actually bring in a domain expert who has 10 years HR experience so they can help us advise on what do the best questions to ask, like where do these people live online that we can find them or in real life. And so once I realized there were those five disciplines, I was actually able to find people that are really good at each one of those disciplines. And they're all independent contractors and they work as much or as little as they want. Um, they make an hourly, but they also make commissions based on the people we're placing. And mm. it allows us to have this awesome culture of extreme ownership where mm -hmm. people come in, like they're, they're really well vetted on our side. And then they work with one client, maybe they work with two or three. And it's, uh, it allows us to pass those cost savings on to our clients. So we're far cheaper than a traditional recruiter. And we're even like equal or less expensive than if you did it in house, while giving you a much more robust access to various different specialists and scale up and down as you need more or less people from quarter yeah. to quarter. And you also get to know our company, like you know us, you know exactly what we're looking for. So it's like kind of the advantage of having an in-house recruiter who's, you know, out, who's, who's picking up the efficiencies of an outsource provider. Yeah, exactly. And our team really loves to get to know their clients. Like the team that works on Cruise, they've been on your guys' accounts since day one. And now, I mean, they can, I feel like they, they know so much about the company, about the different people, about the culture, they can like sniff out a culture fit a lot better. And so you almost get, uh, the longer we work with clients, which we really enjoy and works for them is uh, the more context we have. And it also just, it makes it really enjoyable for our team. Like when we hire someone, when someone gets brought on, it's a staff accountant or a senior accountant or whatever role it is within Cruise, our team gets excited and they feel like yeah like I really liked Danielle she was amazing and then when Danielle gets hired everyone kind of like virtually high fives so it's fun that's for awesome. all of us I love it I love it that's really cool well you definitely we love your service and highly recommend it and uh Gosh, I don't even, have we been working together for like a year or a year and a half or I don't even know. Is it uh, eight it's months? It's been nine months. Yeah. It's been huge for us. So thank you so much. Aww, um, awesome. Are there any, yeah, no, seriously, I, I, we literally love it. It's amazing. And I, for those that don't know, like we've grown, I joined almost three years ago. I was the fourth person, I think. And oh, now wow. we're at 30, yeah. So now we're at 35. So in three years for services company, that's that's a lot of growth and that's all in for service companies like us that's a lot of hiring a lot of training and you've really helped us on the hiring part so thank yeah, you so yeah. much well, let's talk about a couple kind of uh favorite topics of yours and we always we were talking before we turned the mics on like how do what are what are some kind of takeaways people gonna have from listening to the podcast and like one of your uh topics du jour is the pitfalls of hiring like what is what are some problems you've seen people go through what are some ways they can avoid those problems how can they become a more efficient uh, hiring team? 
Uh, obviously, the first step is hiring you to help manage the pipeline. <laughs> but what other things can they do to be more effective? First of all, it's kind of realizing that one of the biggest potential pitfalls is cognitive bias. And we all do this. It's just realizing and accepting that we all have biases when it comes to any kind of interaction we have with other humans. And whether it's anchoring, like seeing they're a Harvard MBA, so then assuming they're going to be better than another candidate just based on that, or if it's something like their picture in LinkedIn, or the fact that you both like the same sports teams, uh, when you understand that there's like multiple different cognitive biases that come into hiring, you're able to solve for it by creating a really thorough process. And that process means that no matter how desperately you need the role or how great an interaction you have over lunch with someone that your VC introduced you to, you're still going to run them through uh, multiple interviews. You're going to create a scorecard for each um, candidate and that each person that interacts with them is going to fill that scorecard out religiously. And the scorecard would uh, be partially, uh, do we think they have the skills to do the job? And another part, do they have the qualities we're looking for? Uh, Character traits, um, do they have the motivation and when you get more like three to five different touch points in a candidate versus just one person or two people and everyone's filling out the same scorecard that has the same questions almost to a monotonous point like you just want to continue to go back and when you do that you take you strip a lot of the bias away and then the last part of that outside of if you can do test tasks and things like that, depending on the seniority, the really big one that most people don't do is um, reference checking. And that's not just checking the references that they give you. I kind of, uh, I say in jest, like almost when people give you references, you can kind of throw them out because like no one gives a reference that they think is gonna say something bad about them. (laughs) But it's, when you check references, you can do, you know, the references they give you and that's fine. But more importantly is to do back channel references. And this is especially important as a person gets more senior. When someone's really junior, you can run them through several tests to see can they do the work that um, we need them to do. When someone's really senior, they're not gonna take the time and nor should they, cause you know, they have other offers on the table to you know prove to you that they can do the work. Their 10 or 15 years probably shows it. But what you do want to do is you want to do this seven point back channel reference check uh, that we do with all of our clients. And that is three people that a candidate worked for, two people they worked with, so colleagues, Mm. and then two people who worked for them. And this is absolutely just magic because if you get you, you have everyone rate them on a scale of zero to ten. Great candidates will be eight, nines and tens. Poor candidates will be, you know, eight and below. And you normally see a, a very clear indication of the person. Either they're just as good as you think or better, or there's some really like big red flags that are hidden in their, their back channel references. So that's a huge one I always suggest everyone does. It's almost like you're doing an NPS score, net promoter score on that person, mm-hmm. you know, eight, nine, 10. And I love how you configure that as a, almost like a 360 review where Mm -hmm. you've got people they've reported to, but you also have people who have reported to them. That's really, really smart. Super important because sometimes people are kiss asses to their direct reports. 
Um, but maybe they suck to work with as a colleague yeah. or maybe yeah. they're terrible to work for. And that's a huge red flag. I almost, I'm almost more interested with the people that work for them than the people they work for. Uh, because there's, because you, you really can sense a person, how they treat people that are, you know, quote unquote below them. Totally. And also when there's a little bit of trouble, uh, below, there's usually a lot of trouble that people aren't exactly. talking to you about. And, exactly. and you, you, you know, in a, in a reference check, you're probably not going to dig in super hard on that, but just knowing there's trouble in paradise is helpful. If you're, if there are people are working inside your company and there's that trouble, there's probably serious stuff that you really need to dig into and, and figure out. So that's, yeah. I love that. Another great thing to do, especially with more senior hires is have, if you're going to have three to five people in your company interview them is not only having the CEO and whoever they work with directly, but also having like the most junior pe- person in the office or on the team interview them too. And that's a great flag of, do they have humility? Are they, um, you know, if your EA sits down and does a talk with them, are they going to be just engaged and just as respectful and thoughtful with your EA as they would be with you? And that's a huge way to, to judge emotional like EQ and humility, which to me is really vital in, in most roles. Yeah, especially in, in our world, like, you know, in client service, actually, that's super, that stuff is super important because they have the uh, the cruise accountants have to be able to interact with you know CEOs, office managers, Everyone. VPs, and so yeah, the emotional intelligence is super duper important. That's cool. So I love your. I didn't even realize that you're when you run people through kind of all these checks that this is the stuff you're looking for. But this is really fascinating. I love it. So what are some things like when when what how did, like this is just like a dilemma that probably a lot of people face like. They really like someone. They had that good VC, the lunch with the someone that the VC recommended, but they come back uh, as marginal reference checks, or there's something not so great. But but you still like the person. Like, what's what is what's your advice? Is it my advice is to run? I'll give you an example. So um, <laughs> at my last company, we hired a director or VP. It was the highest level we had ever hired externally. And the guy used to be at Netflix and several other companies. He was coming from a big consulting firm, one of like the big three. And his, his on paper, he looked phenomenal. He talked a really good game. I had two lunches with him. Um, I think one of my co-founders maybe had a lunch uh, and the CTO and, uh, our advisor, one of our advisors, like I've worked, I worked on a team with this guy before. He's amazing. He's great. Definitely hire him. Don't let him get away. Uh, so we were all super excited. So we create an offer for like the most expensive salary we've ever done. Um, we get him in, he signs within two weeks. I started noticing like some really concerning things like he wasn't really he wasn't rolling a big thing we had talked about is rolling up your sleeves and digging in like we were you know only three years old still a company that like everyone just like did the trenches as well and instead of that he would be pulling people in to do his work and then he also wanted to take more and more control of different departments and I was like this is very strange like he wanted engineering to report to him and it was a non-engineering thing and I was like that doesn't make any sense. So these these red flags. A week later, he quits via text message. 
uh, sends me a text message. And I was just like, um, I don't know. I'm not going to curse since you probably can't. He did me. you a favor. Yeah. But I was like, you've got to be forking kidding was pretty much my response. And so after that happened, I dug around with some of the references, like what should I have done? So I looked back into it. Only the advisor I had talked to was pause bullish on this guy. And it was because he had worked like with him, but not really with him. So it's really easy uh. for there to be people that they're the first 10 or 20 people at Xco and Xco grows from a million and sells for a billion. And they've gotten, they've been in the right place at the right time, but either because they've gotten spoiled, they're just like not a good fit now, or they never were a good worker and they just kind of caught waves and got lucky. But when I started speaking to other people that worked with it there, if I had have done two hours of work in reaching out to people on LinkedIn who, who worked with him in those seven, those three different categories for, with, and um, he reported to, I would have absolutely never made him an offer. And I mean, the average cost they say of uh, at that level, when someone, you hire someone, they don't work out, it's like $250,000 oh because not only is it oh salary for him, but it's the amount of time it took. It's uh, what we lost in productivity. It's like literally our executive team was for three weeks trying to figure out what to do with this guy. Like the, the productivity killer and the money and everything was just massive so and the opportunity costs like you could have hired someone good that's oh, our sure. biggest problem too is like we only have so many slots so when we make a bad hire it's really we've set ourselves back like three months you know a, on the a bad hire is like 10x more disastrous than no hire at all and i think yeah. that's something people don't realize so no matter how great someone sees on paper if their references come back shitty i personally would run if you're like no i have to try this person then try them out on a contract absolutely do not bring them in like as a exempt employee and then have to deal with all that stuff yeah that's amazing. That's great advice. What do you do when like, um, you, you brought up a good point there, like try someone out as a contractor. A lot of my friends who are like VPs or directors, one of the things that this is more on the kind of getting hired side, a lot of startups are asking them to prepare like full on strategy decks or marketing decks or things like that. Almost, and it's a little concerning because it's almost like, hey, this is going to take like 40 hours or yep. 80 hours to do the right way. Yeah. Um, how, what do you coach people on? Should they say yes? Should they do it? Should they not do it? Like, is there a polite middle ground? Like, what, how do you handle that? I mean, I think it depends on the company, how bad they want it, um, some different things. But what I've noticed, like, I personally won't ask someone um, who's far along in the process to do more than, I would say, five hours of work unpaid. And if, uh, and, and, and that's a really case by case, like personally, if I was looking for a role, let's say I was looking for a director or VP, I don't know. I've not really ever worked for other people. So I'm not sure even what I would be. Um, I'd probably be like something super junior. Uh, but if I was looking for a role and someone asked me to do 10, 20, 40 hours of work, I would be like, you know what, if I, if I didn't have a job right then and had the bandwidth, yeah, I'll do that. But the, I will be billing at my consulting rate. And I think that's perfectly fair. Yeah, that's a I don't, really good. I, I think there's a quote, and I think it's from the Bible, and I say this because I was raised like in the South and in Nevada and weirdly Christian, but there's a quote that always stuck with me about like uh, a workman is worthy of his wages, and it's Old Testament, so it's both like Judeo-Christian, but it's like that that little thing always stuck with me from when I went to church, and I was like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't ask people to do work if you're not willing to pay for it. Yeah, it, it's a good faith thing. I think that's a really good middle ground. 
Uh, I like it. Um, what a, and, and kind of continue on this, like you, we had talked before we got the mics going about part-time versus full-time, like, you know, what's, how do you break that down? Is there, are there certain jobs, like functions that need to be a full-time? Is it, is it more of a getting to know you, go part-time and then go full-time? Like, how do you break that? It's, this is more for like the, the founder or business owner. Like how do they, how should they be thinking about part-time versus full-time hires? A lot of it depends on kind of what you're looking for. Uh, what I always say is, uh, first of all, I tell everyone to read uh, the book Principles by Ray Dalio. It's a beast of a book. Uh, it's like a oh, thousand pages, yeah. but it is. I so he, I have that in my Kindle. He put that out. He put Principles out. Um, he runs Bridgewater, which is one of the most successful hedge funds in the world, and he's put it out for twenty years internally, and just this year made it into a book, and it is like amazing for entrepreneurs thinking of uh, in terms of hiring in terms of people operations in terms of systems but what i would say in terms of like uh, ic's versus employees part-time versus full-time is figure out what the goal is like what are you trying to do actually uh, what's the result you want and then can you get that result if someone is can you t- can you test before try before you buy are you able to get that result with uh, part-time work or contract work i think some of the things that are really great to not bring in full house uh right out the gate or even sometimes for years if ever are like with what you guys do with finance, with basic accounting, bookkeeping, uh, CFO duties, um, if you have someone good. And so total side note, also run back channel reference checks on your vendors. Uh, I, I remember at the company I was doing an interim COO role, we did that with Cruise. We ran back channel references and all of them came back great. And I was like, okay, now I'm comfortable. And we did it with yeah, some other nice. CFO firms and they came back questionable and I was like this is very good to know so you should always back channel uh, reference your vendors as well but if you can outsource things and you're confident in the vendor or if you can bring people on part-time let's say for HR or uh, recruiting when it comes to you know outsourcing that or bringing part-time or contract it really it gives you flexibility it is a big benefit if you're able to do it and then in terms of contractors versus employees I mean nationwide in the U.S. we're at a three percent unemployment which is I think like a few like data points off of we're pretty much at full employment meaning it's really yeah. difficult to hire um especially in the cities like san francisco new york uh, la those are the most competitive so if you're at all able to hire remote talent like it is a superpower uh if you're able to hire either part-time or full-time people in kansas city or in Duluth, or in Arlington, Texas, you will have the ability to tap into a pool of candidates that will be um, cheaper, obviously, than where you're currently at if you're in one of these major cities, but also you'll get more bang for your buck. So someone that maybe would be a director in New York City will actually do a, a more junior role if they live in Duluth because they care more about their freedom and flexibility and maybe raising a family or maybe pursuing their art than they do about that that director title in like New York and the pay that would go with it. So if you have a company and you're early on and you're like, hey, we only have this much money, what's a point of leverage we can do? A huge point of leverage is remote talent. But if you do remote talent, you have to put in the infrastructure to manage 
uh, talent remotely. You have to pretty much commit to the idea of extreme ownership. You cannot micromanage and you have to be okay with building a culture with that remote team. It only works for some companies. It doesn't work for all companies. And then there's secondly, sometimes you can have specific uh, branches of your company that are just remote. So maybe most of your people need to be in the office in San Francisco, but you can run customer support remote or you can run HR remote. Uh, so those are huge levers you can pull, especially early on in your business building, um, that if you commit to them will make a really big difference. I love how you call it a superpower. You're totally right. It is a, a superpower and it can really accelerate your business because you can you just find I I think the longer I've been doing this the really more I appreciate just amazing people yeah and whether you find that amazing person in San Francisco or you find them in San Jose or New York or Kansas City or Duluth or wherever it is like they that's what really pushes and accelerates the business and and they have this halo effect they teach everyone else so just finding amazing people is what it's all about and if they have to be remote then that's that's fine it works yeah. One of the other um, uh, things we were kind of talking about would be like, how do, so this is more of a, I think I always, one of the reasons we love working with you is that you have run a business, you built multiple businesses, you've kind of been around, you've, you've kind of seen everything. So like when you and I start talking or Vanessa and you start talking, it's, it's like an instant connection, you know, exactly kind of what we're going through or how to fix what we're going through. Do you have that component of your business, like almost like founder counseling or founder offer hour, office hours, or how do you kind of spread the wealth a little bit? And is that like a good lead generation channel for you? Like how, how do you share all your knowledge? Um, thank you for saying all my knowledge. I, I don't feel that way at all, but you have a lot of knowledge. Thanks. You're really smart. Uh, you know what you're doing. Thank you. Um, so I particularly focus on kind of two things right now. Um, I focus on paying it forward to female entrepreneurs. Uh, Vanessa and I are Mm, actually part of the same group of like uh, female founders that have been around maybe kind of the the block uh, in like one of the seven year Silicon Valley cycles, Silicon Valley, New York cycles. So um, in that group, we focus on inviting newer female entrepreneurs in and helping them level up. I'm always down to talk to any female entrepreneur or any entrepreneur in general, but especially uh, I like that paying it forward. Um, on 17% of startup founders uh, or startup founding teams have at least one woman on them. Uh, only 2% of venture funding from last year was given to teams of all women founders. So like one, two, three, all women founders, which is just insane. Wow. So that's something yeah. I really try to uh, spend a disproportionate amount of like helping out on and then anybody that wants to talk about hiring or distributed workforces or just anything with human capital I'm really passionate about the world of work I'm really passionate about thinking about what five 15 30 years from now looks like and how we can make sure that we don't grow into a dystopia where there's a few people that are paid incredibly well and very high skilled. And then there's just this ruin in the middle. And then there's tons of like super low paid grunt work. Um, I think that that's something that everyone should be thinking about companies, founders. And I think a great way to fix that is through entrepreneurship and innovation. But yeah, it's, those are a few of the ways I try to, to help out with that stuff. That's amazing. And the, the women entrepreneurship thing is, 
it's so important. Like I, my mother was an entrepreneur, oh, and that's it's awesome. probably no coincidence. Yeah, so it's no coincidence that I married Vanessa yeah. probably and liked kind of all those attributes. And uh, it really is a lot of mentorship, and there's so many. I mean, I we love working with women entrepreneurs too because they're just some. Honestly, sometimes I just it, it's there's things that are kind of quietly stacked against women or minority entrepreneurs that people don't even realize are structural things. Mm-hmm. Or just the way people treat and talk to people. Um, and it's, it really does require kind of more mentoring, more coaching, and to get over those things. They're, and they're just like kind of quiet, quiet blocks, you know, that people don't talk about. Insidious, or know about. Yeah. yeah. It's just, a, it's, an, it's a bias that most people don't even realize oh, they have. God. I mean, one thing Recruit does is we offer um, a $1,000 credit uh, for any of our services to any uh, company, any client that is uh, female founded or has a female founder that signs up. We're just like across the board. It doesn't matter um, whether they do a one-off or a recurring plan. We just give them that credit because that's a way we're able to support female entrepreneurs in our small way. And um, I encourage other female founded companies to like offer something if they can to other female yeah, founders. That's amazing. I love it. It's the idea of kind of voting with your dollars. Voting like, your I would dollars and your time. Spend my money. And your mentorship time. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Well, this has been awesome. Like I said, you do an amazing job for Cruise. Thank you. Um, we love it. It's very helpful. It's really helped power our growth. Thanks. Uh, maybe you can tell everyone where they can find you and how they can work with you. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at Marin at thisisrecruit.com. And Marin is spelled like Karen, but with an M. Um, and then I'm at Marin Kate on Twitter or pretty much anywhere else in the internet world. Uh, and I'm always super happy to have a conversation about hiring or entrepreneurship or any of this stuff to startups or founders that are curious. And if we can be helpful, awesome. I love Well, I know you can be helpful, so they should be <laughs> looking you up and using your service. So, cool Marin, thank you so much. Check out Recruit at This Is Recruit. Thank you for your time. Thank Appreciate you. it. Bye-bye.